Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 110 of Wellness and Wanderlust. I still can't believe we're 110 episodes into this show. This podcasting journey has been such a wild ride, and I've loved sharing these incredible conversations and guests with you from week to week. Whether you're a longtime listener or tuning in for the very first time, I want to thank you for being part of this community and for all of your support. I'm truly grateful to each and every one of you. Our guest for this week is Abby King, an integrative nutritionist and the owner of Bliss Point Nutrition. Through Bliss Point, Abby's goal is to not only provide the physical tools to keep your brain and body healthy, but also the foundation to find your bliss in all aspects of life. In our conversation, Abby shares more about her bio-individual approach to wellness and how she helps clients get in touch with their bodies to intuitively understand what works best for them. We discuss ways to start listening to your own body, mindset shifts we can make to improve our overall wellness, how to navigate the holiday season in a mindful way, and tips for prioritizing self-care and wellness while balancing a busy schedule. Abby and I also talk about creating a positive feedback loop when it comes to our health and how one small change can ultimately lead to major transformation. It's a really great conversation. And if this interview resonates with you, I'll share more about how you can work with Abby at the end of this episode. Spoiler alert, she does have a Black Friday special, so stay tuned for that. Our sponsor for today's episode is Kitcaster. Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. If you're an expert in your field or you have a unique story to share, Kitcaster can help you grow your brand and connect with podcasts that fit your niche. They have an incredible team of communication experts that will help you dive into the world of podcasts. Podcasting. If you're interested in working with Kitcaster, you can go to kitcaster.com slash wanderlust to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. I've also linked this offer in the show notes. All right, my friends, now let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Hi, Valerie. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I think we're going to have a great conversation today. We bonded over our love for the the woo and the work. And I'm so excited to really dive into more of what you do. But before we do that, why don't you first tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what your wellness journey has looked like? Yeah, so my name is Abby King, and I am a certified nutrition specialist and master of science in integrative and nutrition or uh, integrative health. And so what that looks like is one-on-one client work, working through a, a variety of different pathophysiologies, as well as a lot of integration of holistic lifestyle. And yeah, so my a little bit more background about my wellness journey is I kind of grew up with all sorts of digestive issues. I've always been very sensitive and kind of feel like I didn't even choose nutrition. It kind of chose me. So I've always had to be really, really careful. And I played Division One sports in college, and that really led me to nutrition because at a certain point, I wasn't feeling very good in my daily life. I was exercising a ton, but I wasn't happy with my energy levels, how I felt, my weight, anything like that. And so I really started to dive in and decided to change what I was eating. And after a few months, I felt like a completely different person. I had had athletic-induced asthma prior and it completely went away once I changed my diet. So I immediately realized, you know, there's something here. And from there, I kind of was obsessed. 
That's amazing. And I, I do find that's such a common thread, I feel like, with people in your line of work and in wellness in general, that a lot of times it is, you know, the struggle that we had growing up that you're hoping to make a difference for. You know, you're you're that person that you would have liked to have, I think, back when you were going through, I think, a lot of those challenges and able to apply what you've learned. And I think that's so inspiring and so cool. I can definitely relate to the sensitivities. I feel like I was reading food labels before I was reading anything else as a kid because <laughs> severe peanut allergy but allergic not lactose intolerant but allergic to to milk where mm. I had to do things a little bit differently around dairy when I was really little and I still am always experimenting because I feel like there are sensitivities there and I'm still figuring out what feels good for me and doesn't. So I can definitely relate to that and how nutrition can just impact how you feel overall. Now you really focus on a bio-individual approach and I think that's so powerful. For those who don't really know what that is, can you talk a little bit more about bio-individuality and how, um, how you utilize that in your practice? Yeah. So what that looks like in practice is kind of looking at all different aspects of the individual. So what their genetics and family history are, what their environmental factors are, um, looking at their whole health history, as well as their current lifestyle factors, and kind of creating a protocol that not only is helpful to, you know, their goals and, and working on their symptoms, but also is sustainable in the context of what their life looks like. So I think a lot of times in the nutrition space, you see a lot of generalized claims or, you know, you need to do this in order to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And really, that what we need to do be, to have optimal health looks very different from person to person, depending on, like I said, that genetic environmental interaction. And so it's really working with the client, meeting them where they're at. And sometimes that looks like using lab tests. Sometimes it's more symptom-based and really kind of creating a individualized and personalized protocol. So I always say like no two protocols look alike with different clients. It's always a different combination. And even, you know, where we start could vary from person to person. You know, if someone's not sleeping well, even if we make their diet virtually perfect, they might not get results. So it's really looking at that whole lifestyle and creating something very unique to the individual. I think that's so powerful. And it's something we didn't think about, I think, as children with the the way that diet culture was, I'd say, for growing up when, well, growing up for me, I remember it was fat free was the big craze. You couldn't have any mm -hmm. fat or else, you know, and, but at the same time, it was very, very general. And, you know, you get a certain number of calories. There were very specific things that may not work for certain people, but there was that one food pyramid and that was what you were supposed to follow. And you know, maybe a couple of diets out there, but yeah. And it's just so funny because I've had people on the show where some have really benefited from a plant-based lifestyle and some have done very well with higher protein. And I think that gender plays a role in it with our hormones. Mm -hmm. And I've felt different at different times in my life based on what food I was eating. And, and that's changed over the years. So definitely important. Yeah, I think you touched on something really important in saying that what's working for you has changed over the years, because I think that's something that a lot of people can get caught up in. They're like, oh, well, when I was this age, like, this is what I was eating. This is how I was exercising. And it worked great. But 
but then 10 years later, they might not see results from the same thing and they might not feel like the best version of themselves. And so that's where kind of that piece of getting in touch with your body and understanding different cues, different symptoms, and and really kind of having that relationship comes in handy because you can, you know, read all you want. You can listen to podcasts on nutrition, but really having that direct relationship with your body and understanding how you're feeling after you may try different foods or different interventions is really what's going to be very important to understand and, and kind of reach that optimal health. Absolutely. Because I do think it's so difficult sometimes when you see different things out there that are being suggested that it may work for you, but it may not work for you just depending on what you have going in your body. And I've had two doctors at the same period of time where one told me that tomatoes would be really great. And one told me I should not be eating tomatoes at any cost. And so which way do you go? It's a, you know, otherwise healthy food. And we think that, well, fruits and vegetables are healthy is like a pretty easy generalization. But even that certain fruits and vegetables may not be right for your body, just depending on, you know, certain conditions you may have or, or factors. And so I would love to know, because I think that we've been taught over the years to almost shut off that intuition. And we kind of just do whatever the article says, or what we're hearing from whatever influencer out there, but we're not really sure how to tune into our bodies. What are your tips and how do you help clients to develop that relationship and understand those cues? I think where we always will start, especially if someone is having, you know, digestive issues or maybe issues with energy is simply just paying a bit more attention to how we feel after eating. So sometimes that's even just writing a few notes down of like, after I ate this meal, like, oh, I felt like my energy was really good for the next couple hours, or maybe I got hungry within an hour or I immediately got tired because those are all different cues in our bodies telling us something based on how we respond to each and every meal. So I think that that's a great, you know, if you're kind of trying to create that relationship, you know, that's a great place to start. But also, uh, I think it's really easy for us to kind of go through the motions with health and wellness. Like, like I was saying, you know, we have our list of things we know this is healthy and we're like, okay, I'm checking it off my list, but really kind of paying attention to how each and everything makes us feel. Are we eating a certain food because it's quote healthy or are we eating it because it actually genuinely makes us feel really good? So I think the biggest piece or the the first step for most people is just taking a step back and like becoming conscious of your decisions around your health and around food versus just kind of going through the motions or being in a routine. That makes a lot of sense because I do think it can get really easy to just say, well, this is again, like because we think that our bodies aren't changing. So this is what I've eaten for however many years so I can eat this now and it's fine. Or whatever article I read said that this would be healthy and so this is what I should eat. But it might not be the right for our bodies. And I think actually even the tomato story that I mentioned, I think that was actually the same doctor for two different conditions I had going. Hmm. So I finally had to kind of experiment with it a little bit. And truth be told, I don't love tomatoes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so it ends up being a little bit more of a moderation for me anyway, but kind of understanding that, hey, certain things I'm going to feel really bloated after I eat them, even though they are nutrient dense. And then other things I feel really, really good after I eat it or I feel energized or I feel full for the day. And I think it can be hard sometimes because we attach so much, I guess, judgment to the foods that we eat mm -hmm. and like good or bad. Yeah, I think 
there is so much of that like labeling you know like like we we have kind of that like ongoing list in our head and even if we aren't necessarily talking about it I think just because of the media and the things you hear around nutrition it's very easy to put you know like okay vegetables label those as good you know and uh, it's it's a lot more complex than that, like you mentioned with the tomatoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it was like the low FODMAP. They're like, yeah, you can have it. And then for something that came up on a different test, they're like, this is not okay. And I'm like, so which is it? Because one plan says have a lot of it, one says you don't. And I feel like you do have to experiment so much with food, but it can't be prescribed in simple, you know, eat lots of vegetables and fruit or, you know, follow this diet or do whatever. It really does have to be tailored to the individual. So I am a huge believer in that. Something else that you really focus on in your practice, I was so fascinated by this. You talk about a positive feedback loop for health. Can you talk about what that means exactly and how that positive feedback loop can pertain? into our wellness? Yeah. So this is kind of a a concept I've (laughs) been um, excited about and playing around with for a while, but I guess it started when I first, you know, made that change and started eating healthier. I started noticing improvements in like, for example, in my situation, it was improvements in my performance in soccer. And then after I was digesting better, exercising more effectively, then, you know, I started to sleep a little bit better. And so it's basically that concept of each positive habit builds on the previous. And eventually that leads you to kind of a new level of performance. Because I think oftentimes the way we look at health in the United States is very much like a disease management paradigm. But really, like the goal should be optimal health, because if we're functioning at our highest capacity physiologically, then we're going to have a greater output in our job and our contribution to our families and relationships, etc. in all areas of our life. So I really look at nutrition and lifestyle as kind of like that foundation for us to increase performance in all other areas. And that goes for, you know, mental perspective as well. So it's really kind of like this, this all encompassing foundation for performance in, in all areas of our life. I love that. It's like compounding interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a really good comparison that I hadn't made that connection before. But yeah, definitely. <laughs> I got you. Well, you know, finance (laughs) industry over here. So I got to throw that in there. But yeah, I mean, it all compounds on itself. I fully believe that I feel like it can can be so hard to get started on a habit. But once you've kind of started to build that, then you have that confidence of, well, I did this and now I feel better and I know I can do this. So now I can do this other thing and kind of adding to it versus I think some of us put the pressure on ourselves to make all the changes at once. And then some of us get stuck and they're like, I don't even want to do do any of this and you know you set yourself up to fail and then it's really easy to not follow through on a habit you're trying to build mm-hmm. yeah it's like when you know if you make a new year's resolution to change like all of these things at once at the beginning of the year like it's a lot more challenging to to stick to it I think people underestimate the value of just making small shifts little by little <laughs> 
Yeah, I love that. That's something, you know, that's a huge focus for this podcast because that was something for me. I was, um, you know, when I when I shifted the focus of my blog, I was in grad school and it was in I was working full time. And my thought was, how can I live a healthier life when everything I'm reading out there is saying I have to upend all of my routines right now and I don't feel like I have enough hours in the day. And I think that, of course, there there is some prioritization and there are things that we can do to to maybe have more hours and we realize where there is time that's being like I have so much time that I would spend like scrolling or watching Netflix that mm-hmm. maybe was not restorative <laughs> in any way but I think it can be really difficult to prioritize the self-care without focusing on the small steps and without focusing on the small shifts so with you when you're working with clients like what are some of the things that you recommend like for creating that positive feedback loop and some of the changes that you like to start with yeah well where we start really very depending on the person and kind of what their focus, what their goal is. So, you know, if I'm working uh, with a client who has IBS, that's going to look very different than working with a client who has blood sugar dysregulation. But I will say that like there are definitely some foundations. Like we're always, if someone's not getting high quality sleep, we're always going to have that be part of the puzzle. We're always going to focus on what that root cause might be behind their symptoms. So it's very easy to, I think, here's an example, I guess, is like, I'll I'll have a lot of people come to me who are taking a supplement for fill in the blank, but really that symptom is not actually what's causing the issue. So they're trying to treat something the same way that you would use a medication to treat a condition. You're only treating the symptom. So it's really kind of diving deep in that first couple sessions and understanding like, okay, what's what's underneath? What's really causing all the downstream effects? And then working from there. So, you know, we're always going to do some, some level of reducing inflammation, balancing blood sugar and optimizing metabolism because a lot of those things are going to support long-term health. And that's always a focus for me. But again, the actual starting point and the first recommendations vary from client to client. That makes sense because, again, you do have that bio-individual approach, and that is so important for listeners just tuning in that, you know, everybody kind of has a different background, different genetics, all of that. But And and I'm sure, you know, there's no one size fits all. But in terms of reducing that inflammation and optimizing the metabolism, any tips that kind of work for at least a lot of us or for, you know, a good chunk of us? Yeah, definitely. So a lot of metabolism has to do with balancing your blood sugar. So even if you don't, you know, necessarily have diabetes or insulin resistance or any diagnosis in that area, there are quite a few people that struggle with energy due to dysregulated blood sugar. So I really like to touch on this with clients because there's some really simple things that you can do that really make a huge difference. So one of them is making sure, I mean, especially for a lot of people and especially for women, is eating breakfast. I think that intermittent fasting has become like a huge trend in the wellness space in the last couple years. And while there is certain cases and certain situations where it can be helpful, I think for the majority of people as a starting point, it's probably not the best place to start. So really focusing on eating breakfast, first of all, but if, if you know, they're already doing that, getting that balanced, those balanced meals, you know, not only in the morning, but throughout the day. So having protein, 
carbohydrates and fat. It sounds really simple, but especially in our culture where a lot of us will grab a coffee in the morning or just have cereal, that kind of will spike your blood sugar and lead to a drop cravings and lack of energy later in the day. So this is just a a situation that I see pretty commonly with clients. And I always like to touch on it because it's something that I would say a lot of the population struggles with. So really focusing on getting those well-balanced meals throughout the day is a great place to start. I think, you know, why you say like it may seem simple, it's something that a lot of us just don't do and don't prioritize. And I know I've been very guilty of like eating lunch at my desk and not taking the time and focus and then also just kind of scarfing something down. And it may not be the most nutritious because, well, I got to get things done today or skipping a meal because you just feel like you don't have the time. So I think that is something that we have to remember that we're going to operate better overall throughout the day if we take just a little bit more time for ourselves and to fuel ourselves. Yeah, I think I think we often think like, okay, I'll I'll get this done or I'll have this meeting and then I'll eat. And really it should be like, no, if I if I just take a little time to eat right now, I'll I'll operate better the rest of the day, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just read a book on productivity and the guy was talking he um it's called When by Daniel Pink. He was calling them sad desk lunches. Oh. <laughs> and like the level of productivity that goes down when you take sad desk lunches and the companies that have banned them. And I'm like, wow, I've taken a lot of sad desk lunches. And I love the name for it because it's so true. And you are completely off balance for the rest of the day, I think, when you're kind of, you know, rushing through it. But I do think that's something, you know, the, the bulk of our listeners are female, although I, I do know that the men experience this too. But I think busy moms, busy women in the workplace trying to get things done and balancing all all of the responsibilities. It can be so hard to put ourselves first in any respect and then to prioritize the self-care and nutrition. So for you, when you're working with someone who says they're just like too busy to make these changes or whatever it may be, like what are some tips you have and what are some of the small shifts that they can take to start building that positive feedback loop for themselves? Yeah, that's definitely something that comes up a lot. I would say one of the first things with clients that are like this is a lot of times I find that when I'm, you know, talking to them about how much they're eating or we do a recall of what they've ate the last couple of days, oftentimes they're simply not consuming enough calories. So that's, you know, a great place to start. I find that a lot of women are actually under consuming and that can actually have a pretty extensive effect on our nervous system, um, which kind of has downstream effects for that stress response, that feeling overwhelmed, that kind of feeling like you have too much on your plate. So sometimes if we're not quite ready to dive into all the nuances of making, you know, an optimal meal or optimal changes, we're just going to start with increasing calories. So working on what snacks we can have on hand, things like that, I feel like is, is kind of a great entry point. And then from there, sometimes that at least relieves them enough to be able to focus on some of the other things that might be more specific to them. That's a great point. I think sometimes it's a lot simpler than we think it is. I have autoimmune issues. And so a lot of times I'll blame like if I'm feeling really overwhelmed and just depleted, I'll say, well, it's it's clearly my inflammatory markers and it's all of this. And sometimes it's just lack of sleep and not taking care of myself and not eating good foods. And it's like so much simpler than what I'm giving it. Like when I, when I actually then like sleep eight hours that night or eat like a meal that has some protein in it, I'm like, wow, 
suddenly my Hashimoto's has cured itself and you or you know maybe not to that extent but you you feel so different I think when you actually take that time but it, it's it's so hard I think sometimes with that mindset shift so I think it is so important to to have that entry point there yeah I think a lot of times we we feel like we need to like reinvent the wheel and really it's just like okay like are we doing baseline like are we eating enough calories are we getting those well-rounded meals like are we do we have snacks available if we need that throughout the day like you said sleep, making sure that the basics are covered, and then we can go forward and make it a little bit more nuanced. But people always want the sexy approach. And sometimes that's just not what it is. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And what I love with your work, and I think that this is something so important for making these changes stick is that you really incorporate mindset into all of it. Can you talk to me a little bit about mindset when making these changes and some of the shifts that you work with clients to make when they're um, when they're looking to improve their health. Yeah, so it's really interesting, you know, we we hear people talk about how how much the mind and the body are connected, but really I've seen this so so much in practice that sometimes it comes in the form of like they're wanting to get a certain result but they're not confident that they can get that result or a lot of times it can be, you know, around body image and confidence and things like that, but it really is that I guess a lot of the work that we do is kind of understanding, okay, what is the goal in the future 3 or 4 months down the line like what what does your life look like once we've worked through whatever symptoms we might be working on and allowing them to see that as a possibility allowing them to understand like okay like this is what I would wake up in the morning and feel like like this is how it would affect my life like seeing all kind of that downstream effects and connecting with that And then also really coming at it from a place of love versus trying to fix yourself. I think that's something that comes up a lot um, for people is, for example, if someone's trying to lose weight, they're like so upset with their body or trying to like feeling like it's wrong for being a certain way. And when you're in that situation, it's almost like a diet is a way to attack you know, your body versus saying like, I love you, I want to support you. So really kind of shifting the connotation that we have around health and kind of making those shifts, making sure that it's coming at at it from a place of of self-love. Yeah, that's something I've certainly struggled with that throughout my life. And it's something that I've had to really shift for myself because I've shared this on the podcast before, but I've had times where I was doing something that was on paper, yes, very healthy, but the intentions behind it were very much that place of judgment and of beating yourself up. And it's something that I think so many of us fall into. And so I think, yeah, shifting the mindset around that is so important. Do you have exercises you do to help clients to visualize what that's going to look like for them if they go about it from that positive place? Or what are some things we can do to change and reframe the way we look at that? Yeah, so usually we'll start with just identifying what beliefs we have around our health, because I think that that can look very different for different people. So an example that I always give to clients that's based on my own experiences, I have a history of heart disease in my family. And so 
for a while, I held the view that, oh, it's it's more challenging. I'm not able to have a healthy cardiovascular system because of my family history. But really, you know, when you rework that, it's actually, okay, like, yes, that's an aspect of my health, but I'm doing everything in my power to support that system of my body. And I understand what will work. And, you know, so really kind of talking yourself out of that and understanding that you don't have to identify with with that current belief. And then if we shift it, it's a lot easier to kind of make the changes that correlate. So we'll do kind of like that exercise, working through some of those journaling. And then I have a like a visualization meditation that I'll provide to some clients, um, depending on if, you know, they have a practice that kind of will take them through what that might look like in the future. I think visualization can be such a great and powerful exercise. I know that like just thinking about and sometimes journaling about what I want things to look like and what they can look like, it just makes it a lot more real and a lot more attainable. And yeah, I think just doing that work to understand because I think we we live we live in our minds every single day and we forget sometimes that the thoughts we're having that are so ingrained in us are not what we were necessarily born with. It do- it doesn't actually shape our reality. Like it doesn't have to but we think well this is the only thing and it just seems so normal to us because it's there every day but to really uncover that and work with a coach with a nutritionist on those types of things to uncover that I think is so powerful yeah I mean like there's so much you can do with just nutrition and working in the physical aspect but I think when you bring in that mental piece and kind of like working through what might be you know relating to some of these physical symptoms I think it becomes really powerful and um, a lot easier to make progress definitely yeah because if it were just about, you know, limiting calories, eating quote unquote healthy foods, which again, it's so different for everybody, and then say exercising, then we would all reach the goals that we have. But there's there, there's just so much more to it. And there are things that hold us back, I think, that, you know, it really is most of the time in our mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. What is the saying? Like, don't believe everything you think. Yeah. (laughs) I have to tell myself that a lot, but very important. Mm -hmm. That's a great one to keep in mind. (laughs) Yeah. Well, another question I have for you, because we're coming up on the holiday season and Thanksgiving, and those holidays are so, so ingrained with like overconsumption, and I'm going to be waddling away from the dinner table, and it's going to be all the food at the office. And sometimes that can be true, but what are things that you recommend when you're working with clients, navigating the holidays and things we can do to enjoy ourselves without completely setting ourselves off track and eating all the things that are going to make us feel physically ill, you know, while still, again, enjoying ourselves in the traditions? Yeah, I think this is such a a challenging balance to strike with both the physical and mental piece. So I'll touch on the physical first. I think some easy kind of takeaways to think of when you are, you know, if there are sweets at the office or, you know, cookies or you're at parties is really, I would say one is having mindfulness with your consumption. So it's not to say like, don't eat the cookie or you know, whatever dessert or whatever food you might deem bad, but it's really to kind of 
if you're going to engage with it, enjoy it, chew it, take a few <laughs> breaths before and really take that time. Don't just mindlessly eat it because it's like, at least if you are choosing to consume that, you're going to enjoy it and fully engage. Um, I think that that's something that a lot of people just aren't necessarily aware of. And we are constantly on the go. So we're never taking that time to really sit down and engage and be conscious about our food decisions. So I'd say that that's one really important thing. And then in terms of just balancing your blood sugar, consuming fiber or protein before a sweet drastically reduces the blood sugar spike. And so it'll keep your energy more consistent throughout the day. So if there's donuts at the office in the morning, you know, having eggs for breakfast that morning or something, you know, something simple like that, making sure kind of creating a balanced mini meal within the context of indulging because that will just support your metabolism and energy. And then I think a big piece of it is that there is so much guilt and shame around the holidays or I have a lot of clients who have fear or worry about going to holiday parties and really thinking about it in the context of allowing yourself to enjoy, allowing yourself to spend time with family and friends. A lot of times when we're in that situation of community, it actually shifts our body into that parasympathetic rest and digest state that we all struggle so hard to reach. And so oftentimes we're actually able to easier digest foods that we might not digest super well in daily life. So really kind of just allowing yourself to, again, engage and enjoy when you are in these situations and not worry so much. Because I think the stress around the food is sometimes a bit more detrimental than actually just consuming the food. <laughs> so those are a few things that I would, yeah. I love those tips. I hadn't thought about the protein or fiber before having the sweets. And that makes so, so much sense. And the parasympathetic getting into the rest and digest. I did not know that when it comes to maybe because it's fight or flight when you're with family, right? But no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> but, um, but I hadn't thought about that and that like you can actually enjoy. And so maybe taking that time. And I think for me, sometimes I have to remind myself like, yes, it's here, you know, once a year or whatever it is, but the store-bought whatever that I don't even really love. I don't need to stuff my face with that. I want to enjoy the thing that maybe my grandmother is going to bring that that I get to have once a year that's like a special family thing and memory versus going completely off the deep end with, well, it's the holidays and I it's in the break room and I'm going to eat it. And it's yeah. not necessarily, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good example of the mindfulness piece. And then also like if you do have one thing not you know if you shame yourself like I, I see a lot of this with the mentality of someone it's like oh I'm eating healthy today and then they they make one wrong decision then the rest of the day is they're off the deep end like you said but really it doesn't have to be that way you can eat healthy and then have whatever dessert you know from your grandmother and really enjoy it and and that's still healthy so it's really kind of I guess the labels you put on things too and those thoughts are going to affect how your body responds as well. Absolutely. Yeah, if we're coming into it from a place of stress, I mean, that's going to upset our stomach just as much as anything else. Exactly. <laughs> so when you're working with clients, I know that, you know, nutrition is, is a huge aspect. But as a former college athlete, I'd love to know where does activity fall in for you? And how do you incorporate that for your clients? That again, <laughs> I'm repeating myself that again varies 
very much from client to client. But I think one of the first tenants that I rely on is um, if someone's not exercising at all, it's it's really to first focus on what physical activity will you do that you enjoy. Because I think a lot of times like it's it's similar to people feeling like, oh, I have to eat vegetables and they don't like them. It's like, okay. But people, you know, feeling like they have to run as their exercise, but be- being like, you know, I don't like running. So whether that's a Zumba class or a spin class or walking or whatever that looks like for that person, I think doing something that you enjoy for physical activity is a great place to start. I do like to provide education on different types of exercise that may support longevity. So whether that's specific types of cardio or weightlifting, and I provide education around that. But again, that varies from person to person. And some are looking for more specifics around that and some not so much. But I also really like to provide education on balance in this area, because I think especially with women, oftentimes we have so much pressure to exercise. And I do meet quite a few women that overexercise and, you know, are feeling that pressure to do like hit workouts all the time and things like that. So specifically with female clients, I really like to help them vary their fitness and their workout routine based on their cycle, because that's something that I've incorporated over the years and seen really, really great results with. So yeah, that's some of the the things that I'll work through with clients. I think that's so important too, because, and and I love that you talked about how it can differ for female clients, because I think, you know, so many of the health studies out there were based on men. And so that's what we think is what we're supposed to do. And they don't have like the cycles and their hormones the way we do throughout the month that you could do a specific workout really whenever at any time, if you're not fluctuating in that way. And I have always been fascinated by that because I think also as women, I think a lot of times we've been taught like for me, when I was younger, I remember always hearing, well, the fastest way to lose weight is running and lots and lots of cardio. And we were almost pushed away from any weightlifting. And I found that doing some weightlifting and I can't lift heavy, but doing some of that, I do feel really good. And actually that's very cardiovascular for me. Like the things we were almost discouraged from because we were going to get quote unquote too bulky or whatever it was actually ended up being very, very good for me. And sometimes that variety and that education and having spoken with, with experts like yourself and with friends even that were in that space that they were finding really great results from it. And you're almost coached away from that. I think at least in like the early 2000s, I feel like it was always that way. Um, So I love that you provide that education. For listeners that are not as familiar, can you talk about for women kind of how you would recommend changing up that workout routine throughout their cycle? Yeah, of course. So the follicular and ovulatory phases are going to be kind of better to do. That's when you're going to have your more intense workouts. So like if you want to run like running or doing HIIT or any high intensity exercise is going to be better during those phases. And then going into your luteal and menstrual phase, so the like 7 to 11 days before your cycle and then actually on your cycle. At the beginning of your your luteal phase, you can still get away with some like more intense workouts or maybe lifting, things like that. And then kind of you're going to want to taper off and do some more slower things. So looking at like Pilates, yoga, maybe more low intense weight lifting, walking, things like that and kind of slow down because the nervous system piece 
also comes in at this part of your cycle. And if you overexert yourself, especially in like a cardio setting, it can actually cause your metabolism to go into that fight or flight response and then hold on to calories. So that's a lot of times why women will be working out excessively throughout their cycle and not necessarily see those weight loss results if that's if that's their goal because sometimes your nervous system is so overactive that it's kind of having that response. So yeah, typically more intense during follicular and ovulatory and then uh, lower intensity, slower movement during your luteal and menstrual phases. I think that's something they need to teach in like every health class. (laughs) I agree. You know, I didn't even know this until maybe a year or two ago, speaking with a couple of guests on the podcast that were writing a cookbook based on foods to eat at different times in your cycle and kind of how to fuel your body then. And we talked a little bit about the exercise component to that. And it's so true because I always thought, well, you should be doing whatever high intensity that you can at any point that is, you know, you don't change up your routine just because it's your period. And I found that when I'm really listening to my body, like a lot of times during that week, uh, the thing I want to do is maybe, well, other than lay around when I, when I want to, you know, I, I want to go for the walk. I don't want to go for the run, but I might want to go for the walk to kind of ease some of the symptoms and to feel a little bit better rather than, and yeah, like a gentle yoga or something, mm-hmm. you know, more along those lines, but the gym is going to be absolutely miserable, stressful. You're not feeling great to begin with a lot of the time. And then I didn't even understand that too, that the fight or flight response was really going into effect when you're doing that. Cause you think that when you're exercising that you're de-stressing or that's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times what we're doing, but to understand that as women and with our hormones, it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I've had firsthand experience with this, just under like feeling the difference from when I was playing division one sports and, and, you know, I had a certain amount of physical activity that was required yeah. daily versus like now I've, I've shifted and I've really kind of changed to this schedule and listening to my body. Like if you have the, the flexibility of, of kind of just giving your body that time and waking up and being like, Hmm, what, what movement would feel good to me today? oftentimes your body will will tell you the right thing according to your cycle just because it has that inherent knowledge. So really kind of playing around with that and and trying it out, I think is, is really beneficial. Yeah. I think that's just so huge for so many areas of wellness that it's not a one size fits all. And you know, of course, for like a team sport, you may have to do things on a certain <laughs> schedule because that's, you know, unfortunately, I don't think they could tailor it to exactly. however many. But, you know, when you have that flexibility to be able to listen to your body and understand, you know, these foods are really what's going to make me feel good right now. This type of movement is what I'm craving. And this is what I don't want to do because I I feel like even throughout different seasons of my life, there are times where I'm gravitating towards certain types of exercise more than others. Not that the weather's cooling down. I'm really wanting the walks like all the time, I think, in addition to anything else I'm doing and Mm -hmm. developing that intuition around what it is that your body really wants and needs. Any other tips in general for those of us who, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but I think we we really do shut off that intuition in so many areas, especially anyone that has experienced a chronic illness or any kind of autoimmune condition where it's really hard to trust your body. So just any other tips for kind of tapping into that intuition a little bit more and understanding what we need? Yeah, I think an easy 
and, and free way to kind of reconnect with your body is finding some time to get outside in nature, whether that's be just going outside and getting your feet on, on the grass or the sand or wherever you may live or going for a hike with a friend or something like that, I find that for a lot of people that kind of reduces the overstimulated environment that we're living in a lot of time and really allows us to connect back to our body and ourselves and kind of just provides an easy journey to, to clarity versus, you know, I mean, you can meditate, you can journal, I think that that's a very simple way to kind of reconnect. So I would say to try that out and then kind of re-enter and, and see how you feel you'll see the difference. I love that because you're also you're reconnecting with yourself, but you're disconnecting, I think, from a lot of technology by doing that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so huge. I love that. I think I'm going to ground after this call, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds so lovely right now. It's one of my favorites, especially during the pandemic. I think doing a lot more calls on Zoom and spending so much time on the computer. Mm -hmm. There were times where I'd spend time at my parents' house for a couple weeks at a time and I'd just go into the backyard and take my shoes off. Yeah, it's so simple and so easy. So that's why I love bringing that up because, you know, I think we forget about it, but it's it's pretty much accessible to everyone. So absolutely. Yeah. In one way or another, you can get outside. Exactly. Oh, I love that. Well, these have been really fantastic tips. I have loved learning from you and I love your approach to all of this. But before I let you go and we dive, we'll definitely dive into a little bit more about what you offer and how the listeners can connect with you. But we do have a few rapid fire questions that I ask all the guests as well. So the listeners can get to know you too. Mm -hmm. So my first question for you of all of the many wellness tips, what is your top wellness tip? Oh, I think I just said one of them, get outside. But another one I like and I think gets forgotten about is cook with herbs and spices. So, you know, incorporate more spices in your cooking or add fresh herbs to your meals. It's an easy way to increase antioxidants and they all have different healing benefits. So it's always a a good option. Oh, yes. I got to check my (laughs) spice cabinet after this. (laughs) No, that's a great point. And because you're able to take something like because I love my fruits and vegetables. Well, I guess I don't really put spices on the fruits, but I love, you know, roasting up some vegetables. And it's so nice when you can add a little bit of cumin or turmeric or something to really just add to it. And like not even thinking about the health benefits, but truly the taste, but then realizing that, hey, I've made this into more of a superfood than I thought. Yeah, exactly. It's a two for one. Your food tastes better and you get the health benefits. (laughs) Absolutely. Now, where Where is your favorite travel destination? Hmm, I would say most recently the Sierra Mountains, like near Mammoth area. I do a lot of hiking, so I've spent some time up there recently, and that's been amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Hmm, this is a hard one. Maybe like an otter? They're like kind of playful, fun, like light. (laughs) That's that's what I'm feeling today. (laughs) We'll go with that one. They're fun. I, uh, I've sh- like anytime I've gone to like a zoo or an animal person, like any of any of the places, the otters are always having the most fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> that's yeah, true. They're always enjoying themselves, and they're athletic. They're swimming. They're having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? 
think gardening. That's something I haven't dove into, but I definitely would like a garden and want that in the future. So yeah, definitely. I feel like that'd be a good one. (laughs) That's awesome. Now, regardless of like climate or whatever, if you could like, if there was something you could be growing, what's like the first thing in your garden? Hmm, Probably some type of berry, like a blackberry or raspberry. Um, yeah, I can eat so many berries, so I'd love to have that <laughs> accessible at all times. <laughs> that sounds so good. I just had a friend tell me that he's growing blackberries right now. I'm like, great, I'm going to be calling you. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love to. I'm in an apartment, so it's a little bit harder to, to garden at this point, but that's something that is on my list, especially when I have kids. I'm like, we mm-hmm. are going to grow some things and we are going to eat them. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, awesome. I love that. So my final question for you from our rapid fire questions, and this could be something in your personal life, professional life, really anywhere, but what would you say is next on your bucket list? I'm really into backpacking right now. And there's a trail in Spain called the Camino de Santiago. And I really want to do that in the next couple of years. So I'd say that's probably the off the top of my head, the first thing I can think of. That is amazing. I just spoke with somebody who mentioned the same place. Oh, interesting. Yes. And I had someone on the podcast. I would say it was within the first year of the show who had done the Camino. And oh my gosh. Like she has a blog about it. I'll have to send you the link at some point. But yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> just sounds like such an amazing experience. And yeah, that like I think that was possibly the week prior to this one. I can't remember which, but we did have someone who just mentioned the Camino in like the last week or so. Yeah. What are the odds? That's so funny. Yes. I think there should be like a wellness and wanderlust meetup out there and we just get. (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been so fantastic. And again, I've really enjoyed getting to hear a little more of your story and how you work with your clients to make these changes and the mindset shifts. I think the mindset especially is something that's so important and it can be our greatest tool or it can really hold us back, I think, when it comes Mm -hmm. to our goals. So I really love everything that you're doing. I'd love to know too, if our listeners want to connect with you and learn more, can you tell us a little bit about where they can find you and the services that you offer and anything else you got going on? Yeah, so I would say the place I'm most active is Instagram. Um, so my Instagram is Abby Abby Louise dot King. I'm on TikTok. It's Bliss Point Nutrition, but we're still playing around with that. And then my website is uh, www.blisspointnutrition.com. And so right now I am currently accepting one-on-one clients. So that's typically a three to four month commitment. And then I also have a self-paced course that will be opening up again come January for the new year, which is really just kind of um, a lot of the nutrition foundations as well as holistic lifestyle education. So kind of if you're just wanting to dive into this space and get a lot of that basic education on ways to support longevity, that's kind of what that course is about. So yeah, those are the offerings that I, that I currently have. That's awesome. I'm going to link all of that in the show notes. I love the name Bliss Point Nutrition. I just have to tell you that as well. But um, yeah, and then the course sounds amazing too. I'm going to have to look into that to kind of start the year off on a on a positive note too. But I think everything you're doing is so inspiring. And I so appreciate you coming on the show and for sharing with us. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you today.
I am a strong believer in bioindividuality and the idea that there's really no one-size-fits-all approach out there when it comes to our wellness. So I really love Abby's perspective here, especially when she talks about that positive feedback loop and how she applies it to her practice. I really do believe that every positive change we make, no matter how small we think it might be, can really make a difference and lead to the next positive change. So I really enjoyed our conversation and I truly appreciate Abby's upbeat perspective on wellness. I think that this was such a magical conversation and I hope you think so too. I've linked her information in the show notes so that you can connect and learn more. Abby is also running a Black Friday special, as I mentioned at the top of this episode. So if you're interested in booking a call with Abby, you'll automatically receive 15% off her one-to-one packages if you book by November 28th. So be sure to take advantage of this incredible offer. I want to thank you all for being a part of this community and for tuning into this week's episode. If you feel called to do so, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with a friend that you think might really benefit. It really does mean the world to me and word of mouth truly makes a difference. And of course, as I mention every week, if you have a topic that you'd like us to explore in the future on this show, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. My Instagram handle is wellness and wanderlust blog and I do check messages there. You can also email me at Valerie, V-A-L-E-R-I-E at wellnessandwanderlust.net. Have a fabulous day and I will see you next time on Thanksgiving.